Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. And I want to use just for a few moments tonight, I won't hold you long, I promise, for a title, Jesus Hold My Hand, while I run this race. Jesus hold my hand. While I run this race. I don't want to run this race in vain. I tell you. Jesus hold my hand. While I run this race. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father we thank you for your presence here. This evening. Lord, we thank you that we may gather in your midst. Lord that we may worship and praise you. And Lord we just ask that you would anoint this word and anoint me to speak that which you would have me to say and anoint us to hear, Lord. And Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you to help us, Lord, to look unto Jesus. Lord, help us to hold the nail-scarred hand of Jesus as we run this race. And everybody in your stead. Amen. Amen and amen. I've used this story a few times. Some of y'all heard it. I'll not go through the whole thing, but um, I want to use this tonight for a little analogy here. Uh, it was 1968 Olympics. Um, you know the Olympics, the world's greatest athletes gather. And how many of you have watched the Olympics? And uh, one of my favorite events, I, I always am excited about the Olympics, but my favorite event to watch in the Olympics uh, is the, the running events. To see, see them human beings that can absolutely fly. I mean, it's amazing. Come on. And not only that, but the long marathon that they run. It's amazing to see some of the times that this marathon uh, in the Olympics that they run is finished. It, it's, it's pretty amazing. And I think a, a marathon's 23 miles, 26, 23, somewhere around that. And uh, it was 1968, the Olympics. And it was, as they do every year, they did the marathon for the last event, the men's marathon of the Olympics. The conditions where the Olympics was being held this year, the, uh, I forget which country it was, but the conditions were daunting. And if you're a runner, you know that when the altitude is wrong, it is hard to run in. And not only when the, the altitude is wrong, but when the temperature and when the, the weather just doesn't match up, it makes the conditions of running very, very hard. And, 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 and it at times hinders some of the runners. And as they sounded the gun to start the race, those runners took off running. And it was runners from each country. The greatest athletes from each country. In two hours and 20 minutes, 
after the start of the race, a man named Mamo Walda was the first runner to cross the finish line. Runners came at, across the finish line. The middle of the pack came. And the last few come until there was one runner that remained to finish. And everybody in that stadium gathered around that stadium watching as they would come sprinting into that stadium on that last leg of that race. And each runner would come. And a man named John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania was that man mm -hmm. that was yet to finish. Now because of the daunting conditions and weather of this race, this marathon, it caused 18 runners to not finish the race, to uh, quit, to throw in the towel. And say, I'm done. I can't finish. There was injuries and whatnot. But there was this one man that was left to finish. And he was known as one of the favorites to win the marathon every year. He had actually came in second to this man that had won, I think, the previous year, which won this time. But something happened that was unexpected for John Stephen Aquari in the middle of his race. About 13 miles in to his race, all of a sudden he took a step that it just got away from him and his knee buckled. Once his knee buckled, it tore the ligaments in his knee. Every ligament in his knee was torn and he fell when that knee buckled and hit his head on the concrete and was in terrible agony and pain. And as the people watched as he would fall, and they would see this man and his country chanting and cheering him on in this event, he would not do as those other runners. He would not back out of the race, those 18 other runners. But he would get up in the midst of the pain and agony that was he was dealing with and his knee buckled and the ligaments torn in it. They said one of the greatest sights some of them people ever seen was John Stephen Quarry as he came limping his way into the stadium. Now see, Mamo Walda was the one that finished first. But that's not what the people that was in the stadium was waiting to see. They was waiting to see this man from Tanzania, John Stephen Aquari. And, and they say that when he came into the stadium, that it literally erupted. And as he would cross that finish line, limping all the way across the finish line, dragging himself across the finish line, and he would fall to his knees. And they would come to help him. And the reporters were just waiting to interview this man. This race that he had underwent and this, this circumstance that had befallen him during his race. And they interviewed him and they said, uh, we want to ask you, what made you finish? What made you continue to go? John Stephen Quarry said, my country did not send me all the way to the Olympics to start this race. But they sent me to finish this race. And I was not going to let the devil hinder me. I was not going to let anything hinder me until I crossed the finish line. Come on. Come on. Listen, 
We're going to fall. But don't be like the 18 that backed out. Get up. I said get up. Get up in the race and keep on pushing toward the finish line. Don't be like the 18 that threw in the towel. But God's saying to you, if you won't quit, I will not quit. If you won't give up, I will not give up. He's saying, get up. Amen. And run. So many Christians are under the idea that when they fall, that's it. But I'm here to tell you, we, we, don't, we don't serve a God that's three strikes and you're out. If you fall down, don't stay down. Get up. Get up. Get up. And I like this. You may say, well, JT, I've fallen. And I can't. I cannot make it up. Well, here's the catch. It's not up to you. When you're sinking and you can't get up, Jesus is reaching His nail-scarred hand down into the water. You may be sinking. You may be going under. But there's a nail-scarred hand reaching down for you, child of God. The writer of Hebrews, many question who it is, but I believe that the writer was Paul. He wrote these words that I read just shortly ago. This scripture. And I want to focus. And when I preach, a lot of times I'll, I'll go through the verse and I'll exponentially go through it and uh, kind of explain it on it. But I'm going to switch things up and I'm going to hold a couple things and kind of I don't want to confuse you, but I'm going to start with verse 2 and go back to verse 1. Understand this. Satan has one thing he's attempting to do to us in our race. When I say race, what we got to understand, and it's not, it's not how who finishes first. It's not how you finish. You may sprint across the finish line. Or you might limp across the finish line. But it's if you finish. It's finishing the race. I'll never forget my nephew Bryce. I was laying in the bed with him one night. He always sleeps with me when he comes to the house. And we were just talking as we do. Talking about the Bible. And he said these words. And they, it stayed with me ever since he said it. He said, JT. And that little voice, that little uh, squeaky voice, just like mine was. I sounded like a girl when I was little like that. And uh, he spoke up and he said, and we, when we, uh, Bryce is a talker, if y'all don't know Bryce. And uh, he talks loud. And we got Dee and, and Faith sleeping in the room beside of us. And he's, I mean, he's letting it fly. And Dee will knock on the wall. Bryce! And when he hears D, that's 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 it. I mean, he and he whispered to me. He said, "JT, you know, the devil's trying to do one thing to us." He said, "The devil is not trying to do anything except get our eyes off of Jesus." Now, this is coming from a 
I believe he was seven years old when he said this. Yeah, come on. He said, the devil is just trying in everything to get our eyes off of Jesus. And that's it. Amen, it is. You see, every attack that we have that comes from Satan is against our faith. Satan knows he cannot harm you physically without the consent of God. He cannot do anything to you without the consent of God. God's got a hedge about you. Just like when you read about Job, Satan came up and he said, and God said, where have you been? He's been roaming the earth. He's been roaming the earth seeking about whom he may devour. And God said, have you tried my servant Job? And say, I I mean, this this has always blessed me. Satan said, I can't. You got a hedge around him. Listen, child of God, you've got a hedge around you. Satan likes to tell you he's going to do a lot of things to you, but he can't because there is a hedge around you. And only, Satan can only do what God allows him to do. We have to understand that. Now, there's times we get ourselves in some terrible situations. The flesh does it to us. But Satan can only do what God allows him Amen. to do. And you think even, even during the seven-year tribulation, me and grandmother were talking about it, uh, there are fallen angels and demon spirits that are locked in the bottomless pit. Now think about that. They're some of the most powerful beings, fallen angels, that followed Satan when he revolted against God. But notice, they're locked up in the bottomless pit. But God will one day allow them to come out of the bottomless pit. During the, that's a whole other message. But what I want to get to you is that it doesn't matter demon spirit. It doesn't matter uh, Satan himself. God is in control. Yes, Satan is constantly coming against our faith. He's attempting to move the object of our faith. He's attempting to take our eyes off of Jesus. Paul would write these words when he wrote Hebrews, if if it was uh, Paul that wrote Hebrews. Looking unto Jesus, the author of and the finisher of my faith. Amen. Of your faith. We talked about it Monday how Jesus brought us out. Up and out of a horrible pit. Out of the miry clay. And He has placed us on the rock. And we talked about how that was justification by faith. We're justified. We were, we were uh, in the court of, of, of God's law. We were guilty of all charges. We were sentenced to uh, an eternal hell. But Jesus took our place. And now because we were at, at first we were guilty, now God looks at us as justified. He looks at us as innocent. He looks at us as free. He looks at us as holy in Christ. And He is the author. What does that word mean? The start. The starting point of our faith is Jesus Christ. Now 
Think about those words. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. It can't get any simpler than that. Even a seven-year-old knew that we got to keep our eyes on Christ. Now we got preachers all over the world trying to preach, well, God's in a paradigm shift. Something new is coming. I'm sorry, but it's not changing from Jesus Christ. Anything other than Jesus Christ and Him crucified is another gospel, Paul said. It's another Jesus. Listen, the church is looking for a message to preach. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. There is no other message. Jesus said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to preach the gospel. To preach deliverance to the captive. The setting of, of at liberty those who are bruised. The opening of the eyes of the blind. Preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Amen. It's Jesus Christ. There's only one way for the captive to be set free, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter. You may be bruised by life, and it life bruises us. Amen. Like Stephen Aquari, you will get injuries. You'll have mistakes. You'll fall. This life bruises us. It's asked so much. Why does bad things happen to good people? Church, we live in a fallen world. A world that is separated from God. A world that has rebelled and is continuing to rebel against God. Rebelling against God. and We live in a world that, that will cause bruises. But Jesus said, I come to set at liberty those who are bruised. The opening of the eyes of the blind. The giving the sight to the blind. It's looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. There's nothing else that can start us. And bring us on through this race. And then it says, who endured the cross. A lot of people may have a problem with maybe some of the things that I say, some of the things that Dad may say, some of the things that Claudie may say. When we say, we must look to Jesus Christ and what He did at the cross. Yeah. And a lot of people may question and say, well, JT, well, why do you have to mention the cross? Why do you have to, to, to preach about the cross? Why do you have to talk about that? That was a defeat. Now see, don't ever let Satan tell you that the cross was a defeat. Right. Come on. This... The ones that crucified Christ did not take His life. Amen. He gave His life. Amen. He gave His life. It was His objective from day one when God became flesh. God the Son, Jesus Christ, was born of a virgin. And He came for one purpose. It was not to heal the sick. 
He healed the sick and it was great. I'm not demeaning the many miracles that He did. It was to die on a cross, an old rugged cross, and shed His life's blood for you and I. It was to die on the cross. That old song says Jesus grew. I mean, God, He said He grew the tree. God had one objective for Jesus, and it was to die on Calvary's cross. People say, well, why don't you talk more about the resurrection? You hear that a lot. Why don't you talk more about the resurrection and, and forget about the cross? Let's, let's think about the, the, what, how Jesus rose again. Listen, the resurrection is our hope to be resurrected like Him one day because He rose from the dead means one thing. It means that what He did at the cross was accomplished. If there was no cross, there could not be a resurrection. Preachers are trying to preach a resurrection without a crucifixion. You cannot leave the crucifixion. Paul said, crucify self, deny self, crucify the flesh daily. Before you can be a resurrected man or woman, you first must be a crucified man or woman. Endure the cross. Everything that you have need of was won at Calvary's cross. And it was stamped by the resurrection. It was won at the cross, but it was stamped by the resurrection. When He rose from the dead, it was because He finished the work. And now that He died and sacrificed Himself, we can rise with Him. Endured the cross. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. He came to endure the cross for you and I. And now I want to go back up to verse 1 as I begin to run the last stretch of this race of this message. He said, Let us lay aside every weight. And this is my key point tonight. I want you to listen to this. Underline this if you've got a pen. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. Now I want you to underline that word, the sin. This verse is widely misinterpreted. You hear a lot of times, you'll hear it preached, well, that now that we've begun this race, we've got to lay aside the sins. We've got to lay aside smoking. We've got to lay aside alcohol. We, get, we can't do that anymore. We've got to lay aside drugs. We've got to lay aside those things. <laughs> that's, that's true. We let go of those things. We're delivered of those things. But that's not what this verse is saying. Now, when we see the word sin in the Bible, at times it's talking about sins. It's talking about missing the mark. And in the Greek, that is... Um, let me read my Greek word here so I can get Claudia on one here. Claudia likes to... Homartano. Oh, that's a good one. Come on. 
That means to miss the mark. Now, has anybody here missed the mark? Amen. Come on. I read about it one time. I don't. I don't know. Some, maybe somebody can tell me what it's like. But I read about it the other day about missing the mark. And <laughs> listen, we miss the mark as Christians. We fall short. We're going to. But here, the Greek word for the sin. Now notice, I keep saying the. That word the is called a definite article. It gives something ownership. Uh, it gives something importance. And what that does to the word sin after this, moms are like, where is he getting all this stuff? And I know he didn't get it from me in school because I taught computer class and I know he didn't pay attention in English. And <laughs> um, <laughs> This is what college classes are for. It makes, when you add the to sin, it makes it a noun. What's a noun? Does anybody here want to say that? Person, place, or thing. Boy, I tell you what, y'all are a bunch of scholars. So that then takes, instead of making it actions of sin, like maybe you would, Jesus told the lady when they brought her up, He said, go, I condemn you not. Go and sin no more. Now that is talking about missing the mark. Do it, doing wrong things. But here, it is not talking about that. This word uh, used here is, is uh, the Greek word. Give me a second, Claudia. I'm looking at it right now. Hang on one minute. It is homartia. That means it is a person, place, or noun. And that makes this word the sin nature. Now, just hang with me. Hang with me. Don't lose me. I, I promise I'm not going to make you all write an essay after this. The sin nature. So now let's interpret this, what this means. And you can look this up in Greek if you want to, if you really want to. But trust me, I promise that this is what this means. Now let's interpret it like it says it. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin nature which so easily besets us. I want you to think of that. The sin nature. A lot of Christians may not know what that means. And that's okay. Because it's not taught in the church like it should be. The sin nature. You can also, a lot of people refer, refer to it as the Adam nature. Talking about Adam falling in the garden. It is the nature that we're all born with. David said that my mother did form me in iniquity and sin. We're all born with that sin nature. The nature that's inside of us that drives us to do wrong. That drives, you don't have to teach a baby to want the toy that the other baby's playing with and just decide to take it from the other baby. Or you don't have to teach the baby when it's time to clean up to just throw a fit and start crying. You see, we are born, all of us, in sin. Now, I'm not saying if a baby, uh, I'm not calling a baby a sinner. Don't take this wrong. There's an age of account accountability. But I want you to understand something. Each of us, if we do not get saved, that's why you see the things going on, the people making the decisions they do, is because they're being controlled by a nature that is sinful. 
the sin nature. The nature that keeps us from God that has set into man's heart because of the disobedience of Adam in the Garden of Eden. The sin nature. But we've got to understand that there's only one way that we can get rid of that. And that's the blood of Jesus. And when we are washed in the blood, then the sin nature is replaced with something that's divine. The divine nature. We, we instead of sin and, and Satan sitting on the throne of our heart and ruling us, now Jesus sits on the throne of your heart and rules your life. He becomes the Savior and the Lord of your life. But what I want us to understand is these words let us lay aside the weight and the sin nature, the sin that easily besets us. That tells us one thing, that as Christians, Paul is talking here about running the race. And him saying these words means that the sin nature still has potential to beset us. Bear with me. The sin nature still has the potential to beset us. Lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily besets you. So, And I'm closing in just a few moments. So many Christians are being dominated by the sin nature. And you say, well, JT, uh, I can't understand how somebody can be dominated by sin. I cannot stand that. I, they shouldn't be saved. But let me tell you, God can put up with a lot more than you can. We have to learn that. But sin separates from God. Sin steals. Sin kills. The sin nature destroys. And if a Christian does not understand the proper faith, well, how do we walk? We walk by faith. Not by we walk by faith, not by the only thing that pleases God is faith. But if a Christian does not understand the object of faith to place their faith in while running this race, they'll find themselves being weighed down and beset by the sin nature. Now think of this tonight. What we have to understand is that this race that we are running starts with faith in Christ. What He's accomplished for us at Calvary's cross and that He is a risen Savior. It starts there. And it continues there. If it doesn't continue there, then the sin nature will control. Paul said, sin no longer has dominion over me. Why did Paul say that? Because he's been baptized into Christ. Paul said this, and I'm closing with this. Then he said, but I begin to look at the commandment. The commandment came. 
And he said, I died. And then he said this, sin revived. Paul began to look at the commandment. Paul the Apostle. At some point in his walk after he was saved, after he had given his heart to Christ on the road to Damascus, at some point in time, he took his eyes off Jesus. Paul the Apostle took his eyes off what? It's possible. Believe me, it's possible. We all at some point will find ourselves looking somewhere else. But Paul said, he said, those things I count myself not to have apprehended. He said, but one thing that I do is I press. Forgetting those things which are behind. Reaching forth to those things which are ahead. I press Toward the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. He's saying one thing to the child of God. Get up. Don't let sin have its way. Take your eyes off anything else and put them on the cross. Put them on Jesus. Put them on Jesus Christ. Look unto Jesus. The author the finisher of your faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. And in this last part, is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know what that symbolizes? That symbolizes finished. The work Everything that listen. Now this isn't a shouting message like we've been having recently. Good job. But you, this is this is Christ, this is Christian 101. The work has been finished. The victory has been won. Why? Because he rose. We know that. Because he's sitting beside the right hand of God. And what's he doing? He's interceding for us. God could not accept anything but Jesus Christ. And He did that 2,000 years ago. Because what Jesus did for us at the cross, He defeated Satan. He defeated the sin nature. He defeated death, hell, and the grave. And that's available to us as Christians. But only as we're looking exclusively unto Jesus. And what He did for us. The author... And the finisher of, my faith, of our faith. And Paul said this, Mom, just come to the piano, whatever you want to sing. Uh, you guys know this verse, it's used. Come on, thank you, Lord. Second Timothy 4 and 7. Paul said, I fought a good fight. I have finished my course. And I have kept my faith. Amen. I fought a good fight. I fought to keep saying what he said. I fought the good fight of faith. Keep your faith. Don't fight the fight. Haley said it. We don't fight from a point of defeat. We fight from a point of victory. And that point is in Jesus Christ. Keeping our faith in the victory that he won at Calvary's cross for us. Paul said, I fought a good fight, Timothy. 
I'll finish my course and if I could tell you one thing is to keep the faith. I have kept the faith. I've fallen. I've failed. I've slipped. I've missed the mark. I've messed up. But when my faith stayed in Christ, He picked me up out of my failure. He placed my feet back on the rock and He pushed me on forward. Christians, understand this. We are to lay aside the weight and the sin. That doesn't mean, well, I, I might have to say you, you may be a Christian and you may have a problem that you're not that you don't like. It may just be something like like watching watching the, the wrong things. But he Paul's not saying here you've got to got to make yourself stop doing that. He's saying when you put your faith in Christ, those things are going to go. When you keep your eyes on Christ, those things, you're going to be delivered from those things. But he's saying one thing, place your eyes on Christ who endured the cross. Despising the shame that set beside the Father. Following you.